Good evening. A record heat wave bakes Great Britain as New York enters its own heat wave this week. Climate change divides New Yorkers. Are we entering the era of the mega project? Prince Harry blasts the U.S. and de Blasio drops out. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the WBAI News for Tuesday, July 19, 2022. It's the summer of Jaws. Just as New Yorkers needed access to their beaches as temperatures soared into the 90s, beaches in the Rockaways were closed for swimming today just before 2 p.m. until further notice due to shark sightings. The Parks Department said the NYPD is conducting aerial surveillances of the shoreline as officials work to determine when it will be safe to reopen beaches to the public. As of yesterday morning, there were reports of five shark attacks on coastal areas near Long Island in the last two weeks. In response to shark sightings, Governor Kathy Hochul said yesterday that New York officials would be stepping up shark monitoring efforts in coastal areas and beaches across Long Island. But despite the shark sightings, it's the dog days of summer that have hit, and they look to stick around for several days. New York is under a heat ridge and a persistent southwest flow, meaning we'll pump in hot air temperatures in the 90s and dew points in the 60s and 70s. Dew points, a mixture of heat and humidity, get very uncomfortable at those levels. Mayor Eric Adams announced the heat advisory for the city today. We do have a National Weather Service heat advisory for New York City. That would be, in fact, from Wednesday the 20th through Thursday, July 21st. We're looking at temperatures to be in the upper 90s on Wednesday and Thursday. This is serious heat, and we're really concerned about those, particularly with pre-existing respiratory conditions. We're going to be opening the cooling centers. They will be open through Thursday. And, of course, beaches and pools are open for the summer. New Yorkers can also find ways to stay cool at newyorkcity.gov forward slash beat the heat or by calling 311. And we want to uh, make sure that during these times, there's often a moment with our uh, electricity. Uh, we're in contact with Con Edison and PSEG Long Island, and we're going to continue to monitor the situation. The Office of Emergency Management is on top of this, but we cannot stress enough to, you know, take all the necessary precautions. And the basic thing, check on elders, drink water, rest if you're outdoors, and just really be conscious of the heat that we're facing. According to the National Weather Service, a heat advisory is issued when heat and unity will make it feel like it's 95 to 99 degrees for two or more consecutive days or 100 to 104 degrees for any length of time. Meanwhile, Britain shattered its record for highest temperatures ever registered today amid a heat wave that seared swaths of Europe. As the UK's national weather forecaster said, such highs are now a fact of life in a country ill-prepared for such extremes. The UK Met Office Weather Agency registered a provisional reading of 40.3 degrees Celsius. That's 104.5 degrees Fahrenheit in eastern England. As the nation watched with a combination of horror and fascination, Met Office Chief Scientist Stephen Belcher said such temperatures in Britain were virtually impossible without human-driven climate change. And that potential of human-driven climate change actually crossing beyond potential to actual fact added to the urgency around a massive climate change mega project that's underway in New York City. Yesterday, Mayor Adams pushed the button to move one of 18 79-ton gates the city is installing along the East River to keep out the rising waters. We know that this east side uh, coastal resiliency uh, project is one of the biggest. It's an amazing achievement of human feet. And this is phase one of this massive plan. There are more phases to it. 
The goal is to protect lower Manhattan. I remember as we saw the hurricanes uh, moving through this area, the flooding that impacted so many people. Uh, this is costing taxpayers' dollars, but it's a real win. $1.5 billion uh, climate adaption uh, project is the single largest urban climate adaptation project in the country. And that was the mayor yesterday. The project is controversial in the Lower East Side neighborhood that where most of that construction is taking place. The neighborhood has lost more than half of East River Park, which is the largest park in an area bereft of greenery and facilities for recreation. Half of the 1,000 trees in the park have been cut down since the project began. WBAI spoke with Ian Michaels, executive director of the Office of Public Information for the New York City Department of Design and Construction, known as DDC. He says a lot of the damage actually is. He doesn't deny that a lot of damage has occurred and more might occur. But he says it had to be done because of the threat of climate change. Essentially a new park that's at an elevation of about 10 feet higher than the current existing park. So when I walk over to the water's edge and look down, it's going to be a dizzying height, isn't it? The protection is in the flood wall that will be running down the center of the new park. So the promenade can be lower than the park itself and could be closer to the water. Right. Uh, although I've seen the pictures and it looks like you're going to be walking down a flight of stairs. Well, that was a concern, too, actually. I'm glad you brought that up. So sight lines uh, to the water was something else that was considered. And you're absolutely right. Um, it's impossible to build it without harming some of the sight lines. That was something. And in terms of where they decided to place those 18 gates, and I mentioned earlier the placement of the gates. Unfortunately, the protection of the neighborhood comes first, obviously, so some of the sidelines were damaged, that's true. Is it possible that after it's done, the problem will come from another direction? In addition to not wanting to cut the neighborhood off from the river, we don't want to create what engineers call uh, kind of like a bathtub effect where you're filling up a neighborhood with water from above. Uh, so that's obviously a big consideration, especially after Hurricane Ida that happened after last year, right? We are expanding, it's called expanding storm sewer capacity inside the protected area. It's one element in a citywide effort that includes other things. The city has a new chief climate officer, and there's a lot of green infrastructure being built throughout the city in different neighborhoods, and we are making a lot of improvements to the sewer system to try to address that. There's uh, a thousand trees. They've been counting them. There's 505 mm -hmm. trees left. There were 996 to begin with. They thought there was a lot less left. Folks say they're going to be fighting to try and stop the project and protect those trees. So what okay. is it about the trees? People like the trees. I mean, I understand that myself. I live near a park, and I'm familiar with the trees. I see them myself. And a couple of years ago, one of the trees got knocked down by a storm. I was, I was upset by that, too. I understand that. Those trees were original to the park. So the park is about 85 years old. It was built by Robert Moses on landfill in the East River. In the new East River Park, we're going to be replacing uh, close to 2,000 new trees. So we're going to see a doubling, approximately, in the number of trees in East River Park. Is the real reason that all this had to be done because of some top secret reason why the Con Ed has to run its, wire, its uh, wires. There was a controversy a while back about the project plan changing somewhat. Under the original project plan, a lot of the trees in the park were going to be removed, but under the new one, all the trees are going to be removed, and people want to know why that decision was made. One of the main reasons is that the original plan was going to build the flood wall along the FDR Drive, and it's a corridor that underneath it has a lot of very important, very sensitive high voltage lines that Con Edison controls. And that was going to be a very, very big complicating factor in the original design if we carried it out that way. You know, I remember when it exploded. 
I was sitting in my house looking out the window, a huge green flash. I was on the phone to somebody. Two minutes later, all the power went out, didn't come back for a week. Con Edison has its own protection for its plant. So if you want to know what the plan is to protect the Con Edison plant, they have their own flood wall that they've already built. We're going to kind of put protection on either side of their plant. But their plant, I understand, is already protected. They already have a, a right. flood wall in place. But, you know, considering what happened, I wonder, you know, if they're the Achilles heel in all of this. The high voltage lines that go through East River Park were really like an Achilles heel for this original design. There was, it was, it was going to be very, very difficult to build the original design with those lines where they are. Even with the new design, uh, because we're loading so much more additional weight on top of those lines, Con Edison still has to come in and reinforce them. So that's work that's been going on for the last couple months. They had a contractor in the park. People involved with the uh, water quality in our harbor have said for decades that the uh, storm water should be diverted to sewage treatment plants. I don't disagree with you on that. When an area doesn't have separate storm sewers and sanitary sewers, just has one sewer system that handles household waste but also doubles as a storm sewer when it rains, that's what happens. And um, they overflow into the nearest local waterway. And this is a very old part of the city, right? This is old sewers. So you have combined sewers in this area. It would, it would increase the scale and the scope of this project tremendously to try to separate out the sewer system in this area at the same time that we're doing this job. This project is to create flood protection, not to solve every single environmental problem that exists in the neighborhood. Dean Michaels, he's the executive director of the Office of Public Information for the New York City Department of Design and Construction, known as DDC. But 40-year Lower East Side resident Harriet Hirshhorn tells WBAI the city is broken. Every promise it's made about the park to local residents from the start when a community-backed plan was unceremoniously dumped and replaced with this massive reconstruction project. She blames Councilmember Carlina Rivera and says the mayor can't be trusted. Whatever they decide to do to the southern end, and it's pretty hard to figure out because there's, they're just doing, at the moment, a lot of excavating and there are a lot of big piles of dirt and big piles of gravel, mostly uncovered, by the way. Regardless of what they do to the southern end, it seems like as long as they haven't destroyed the northern end, a different, more resilient plan should be possible. This particular plan was designed in 2018 over the course of six months. If they do stick to their quote-unquote agreement with they're not going to destroy the northern end until they've completely rebuilt the southern end and it's accessible, if they really stick to that plan, they've got time to come up with a better plan for the northern end. Now, the mayor really uh, proudly introduced his first deputy mayor who was in charge of, I believe it's called DDC. That was the agency that was behind this whole construction project. They're very proud of the DDC in general because they say the DDC gets things done. So it depends what's your position on the thing that they're getting done. Well, the mayor said very clearly if it doesn't work, he's still created jobs that shoveled a billion and a half dollars into unions that supported him and which are beloved in New York. Jobs are primary over trees. Jobs are primary over trees, but you do have to sort of wonder who's getting those jobs. And we can tell you just from talking to the people who have been working on this construction site, none of them are from New York City. There's not one single job and and no and the the minority the women and minority um, contracts that were supposed to be women and minority business owned contracts that were supposed to be awarded uh, there's I I don't think there's even one um, so all of that all of that uh, all of those quote unquote promises from Carlina Rivera 
and the city council um, who signed on to this project saying that in return the neighborhood would get a lot of jobs it just never happened mm -hmm. in fact none of the mitigations that she promised for this neighborhood have happened there's right. no alternative greenway for the bikers there's you know there's nothing has happened he liked the fact there was an 80 ton gate he sounded a lot and both of him and carlina despite their liberal protestations sounded a lot like trump it's really only designed to deal with one aspect of climate change and that's rising sea level and we've got a lot more other problems like even with the removal of the 600 trees you can feel the heat on that side of the fdr i mean it's way way hotter now than it was last summer that's going to be a really big problem for lower manhattan if they keep chopping down all these trees we're going to see the heat island effect right here mm -hmm. the other thing i wanted to add was whether or not this project does work in the long term in the short term They've successfully removed the only flood protection we had, and that was the roots of those 80-year-old trees. They're all gone. They uprooted them. And now, basically, what they are doing on the southern end is just excavating like crazy. So they're basically turning into a gigantic mud pit with no thought to interim flood protection. Harriet Hirshhorn is 40-year resident of the Lower East Side. The East Side Coastal Resiliency Project, as it's called, is expected to be completed by 2026. A side issue WBAI will be looking into is despite numerous contracts and agreements demanding that large numbers of women and people of color be hired for this job, um, nobody has seen any women at all on the job and people have been watching. So we're going to be following that as well. And among the most vulnerable to climate change and extreme heat are arguably the tens of thousands of homeless people living on city streets today. New York City Mayor Adams, veteran civil rights advocate and former executive director of the New York Civil Liberties Union, Union uh, Norman Siegel, and Community Healthcare Network President and Coalition for the Homeless founder Robert Hayes, announced the launch of the Street Homeless Advocacy Project, or SHAP, S-H-A-P, a volunteer outreach initiative to provide direct support to those experiencing homeless. Led by Norman Siegel and Robert Hayes in conjunction with the Interfaith Assembly and Homelessness and Housing, the New York Legal Assistance Group and the DOE Fund, the new initiative, the new initiative will help train New Yorkers to become volunteer advocates for those experiencing homelessness. Siegel announced the initiative with Mayor Adams today. Sector, we need you. You see the people on the streets. You see them in the parks. As the mayor says, don't close your eyes. Call us. There are all kinds of services and personalities we need to make this work. Realistically, also, it's not going to happen in a week or a month or a few months. You're talking about something that took four decades. I'll be happy if in a year from today we have decreased 25% of the people out on the streets. That's the realistic goal. Too often people get at these podiums and give false expectations. We will not do that because we know the realities of what we're taking on. But as people who love this city, and more important, love the people who are made up of this city, especially the powerless, the underdogs, the people who don't have bank accounts, who have trouble meandering this very complex city.
We're here for you. And that is Norman Siegel. SHAP, S-H-A-P, as it's called, will train volunteers to engage and build trust with those experiencing homelessness and offer services ranging from independent housing options, safe haven beds, as well as mental health and substance use programs. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Right-wing political commentator Meghan McCain criticized Prince Harry over his speech at the United Nations yesterday commemorating Nelson Mandela International Day. She called it wildly insulting to the American people. Speaking to the U.N. General Assembly in New York, Harry referenced climate change and how it's wreaking havoc on our planet, as well as the weaponization of lies and disinformation at the expense of the many. He also made a dig at the U.S. regarding the overturning of Roe v. Wade. This has been a painful year in a painful decade. We're living through a pandemic that continues to ravage communities in every corner of the globe. Climate change wreaking havoc on our planet, with the most vulnerable suffering most of all. The few weaponizing lies and disinformation at the expense of the many. And from the horrific war in Ukraine to the rolling back of constitutional rights here in the United States, we are witnessing a global assault on democracy and freedom the cause of Mandela's life. According to Freedom House, our world has grown less free every year for more than a decade and a half. This is a pivotal moment, a moment where multiple converging crises have given way to an endless string of injustices, a moment where ordinary people around the world are experiencing extraordinary pain. And in this moment, we have a choice to make. We can grow apathetic, succumb to anger, or yield to despair, surrendering to the gravity of what we're up against. Or we can do what Mandela did every single day inside that seven by nine foot prison cell on Robin Island, and every day outside of it too. We can find meaning and purpose in the struggle. We can wear our principles as armor. Heed the advice Mandela once gave his son to never give up the battle even in the darkest hour. Prince Harry yesterday speaking at the United Nations. One of the most potent statements made during his speech was a comparison between the overturning of constitutional rights in the United States and the war in Ukraine. Harry's wife, Meghan Markle, in a conversation with Gloria Steinem published by Vogue, said pretty much the same thing. And on Capitol Hill, the Senate Foreign Relations Committee gave easy bipartisan approval today to admitting Finland and Sweden into NATO as lawmakers aim for quick Senate passage and a show of congressional support for expansion of the United States and European Defense Alliance in the face of the war in Ukraine. Committee members approved the expansion by voice vote. Senator Rand Paul, a Kentucky Republican and frequent critic of U.S. policy abroad, voted a neutral present rather than yes or no. We obviously want to see Finland and Sweden brought into the alliance as soon as possible. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby told reporters at the White House after the vote. He continued, these are modern militaries that we know well, stressing the strength that supporters say the two countries would bring to the military bloc. Kirby went on to accuse Russia of beginning to annex parts of Ukraine into Russia. Russia is laying the groundwork to annex Ukrainian territory that it controls in direct violation of Ukraine's sovereignty. We're seeing ample evidence in the intelligence and in the public domain that Russia intends to try to annex additional Ukrainian territory. Russia is beginning to roll out a version 
of what you could call an annexation playbook, very similar to the one we saw in 2014. Already, Russia is installing illegitimate proxy officials in the areas of Ukraine that are under its control. John Kirby, Putin's invasion led Finland and Sweden to abandon longstanding policies of military non-alignment and seek to join forces with NATO with its joint conventional and nuclear forces. President Joe Biden encouraged the move behind the scenes and welcomed leaders of the two countries to the White House in May to signal United States support. And in more D.C. news, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer told reporters that he plans to move ahead with the reconciliation legislation to lower the cost of prescription drugs and a two-year extension of the Affordable Care Act subsidies. Part of the two things we want to do in reconciliation, um, that we're going to do in reconciliation, are prescription drugs and a two-year extension of ACA. No, and that would be, if they pass those in reconciliation, those would be just two of the many points that were turned down when President Biden uh, was defeated by two members of his own party, by uh, Manchin and Cinema. And on the Republican side, chaos is uh, just as uh, visible among the political uh, class in that world. Mitch McConnell today said he expects the presidential primaries upcoming to be overcrowded. Look, I, I think we're going to have a crowded field for president. Uh, I assume that most of that will unfold later, and people will be picking their candidates during a crowded primary field. And that is Mitch McConnell. And here in New York, former Mayor Bill de Blasio announced on Twitter today that he's dropping out of the Democratic primary for the 10th Congressional District a month ahead of the vote. The former mayor said the decision came after listening to the concerns of Brooklyn and Manhattan residents. He had this to say in his statement. In these last couple of months, I have had this really amazing opportunity to spend time with people in Brooklyn and in Manhattan talking about their lives, listening to New Yorkers, everything they've been through, and all the amazing spirit people have brought fighting back after COVID. It has made me more proud of the people of the city than ever. And I've listened really carefully to people. And it's clear to me that... When it comes to this congressional district, people are looking for another option. And I respect that. And I just want to say I love the people of this city. I really want to keep serving, and I'm going to find a different way to serve. But I'm filled with gratitude at the same time. I've been on an amazing journey with so many of you. I want to thank all the people who have helped in this campaign and before. Uh, the members of the team, the, the volunteers, the supporters, everyone who's been part of it, thank you. And it's made a huge difference. And even though this is not going to work out, I hope you know how much I appreciate you. And that is Mayor de Blasio finding out the truth that it's pretty difficult to move on from a job to another job from being mayor of New York City. It's just too big of a job, too controversial. And uh, whatever you do, whether it's a de Blasio or a Giuliani, um, you're stuck with that when you try and run for higher office, as both men have discovered. The Democratic primary in the 10th Congressional District is crowded. Among the candidates include Councilwoman Carlina Rivera, Assemblywoman Yuli New, Representative Mondaire Jones, and other prominent Democrats. The newly drawn 10th District is heavily Democratic and includes neighborhoods below 14th Street like the East Village, Tribeca in Manhattan, to Brooklyn Heights, Borough Park, and de Blasio's own Park Slope neighborhood in Brooklyn. The seat opened up when Representative Gerald Nadler announced he was running in the 12th Congressional District against fellow Republican Representative Carolyn Maloney in the aftermath of redistricting. Rivera is a councilwoman for the Lower East Side 
side widely criticized for her support of the Eastside Coastal Resiliency Project. And that's some of the news for Tuesday, July 19, 2022. The news is produced by Linda Perry, our engineer is Rishi Johnson from New York City. Where a lot of the news happened today, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening. <laughs>